Welcome back to the Genesis of Conception. I am your hostess, Rebecca David, and this is the space between the picket lines. Here, we talk about all things pro-life, but we keep strictly to the facts and the science and that which is provable. Now, in last week's episode, we covered the my body, my choice, or as some like to call it, the bodily autonomy argument, and we discussed why it really does not make much sense once you get past the very basic surface level. This week, we're going to take a look at the miscarriage side of things and why it matters so much. Thank you in advance for being willing to join me on this journey. So first off, if you are listening to this and you have experienced a miscarriage, I offer you my most sincere condolences. What you have been through is a tragedy, and my heart goes out to you. And I will be providing resources specifically for you at the end of this video. Now, to really dip our toes into this faction of the pro-life fight, we need to start by knowing the actual definition of a miscarriage. According to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, a miscarriage is defined as the spontaneous expulsion of a human fetus before it is viable and especially between the 12th and the 28th weeks of gestation. Now, that's going to be important, so don't forget about that part. An interesting fact for you here, the original printed version of this dictionary, which is the exact same verbiage as the one you can find online, it came out in 1981. Now, 1981 was decades before we had anything remotely resembling the medical technology which we currently have that allows for a child's survival outside of the womb before the 28-week mark of gestation. So that's very, very important for what's coming next. Now, another pivotal notation here is the difference between a miscarriage and a stillbirth. A stillbirth is defined as the birth of a dead child. Here is why that differentiation is important. For it to be a miscarriage, the child could not have survived even with help once they were born, meaning the new medical technology that we have that wasn't available in 1981 wouldn't have made any kind of a difference. If it is a stillbirth, that technology would make a difference and that child could have survived but instead was just born dead due to other factors involved. Now, this distinction is important because of the viability argument that is frequently used in the pro-choice world. Now, the reason why that matters is because the goalpost on viability has moved backwards much, much closer to the point when a woman realizes she's pregnant than it was back whenever this original definition came out in 1981. In fact, by way of the most recent update on viability outside of the womb... We have a report from Live Action, which tells us that this month, which at the original time of this recording was February of 2022, a half-pound micro-preemie from Maryland, her name is Heaven, she's rather adorable, she has survived being born at 23 weeks of gestation, and she's going to be going home soon. But in an insane and amazing plot twist, she does not hold the record for the youngest ever. That honor goes to one Jamarius Jachin Arbor Jr. He was born at just 21 weeks of gestation back in December of 2019. You know, side note on this, I never fail to be awed, not just by the medical advancements that have been made that allow for a child born that early to survive, 
But just the sheer human will involved, even that young, where a human being, against all odds, survives and thrives, even whenever doctors may have said that was impossible. I actually have a really good friend who has a very, very similar story. She was a micro preemie, not that early, but she was a micro preemie, and she's doing incredible things in life. So all that to say, keep in mind that both of them were born almost two full months earlier than the original 28-week mark that Merriam-Webster uses. So never underestimate the power of just allowing a child to survive. Just don't don't just take the medical community's word at it sometimes. Whenever you have definitions like this, whenever you're told by the doctors, oh, they won't be viable outside of the womb, so you might as well abort. Not always the case. In fact, not by a long shot. And now, with a firm understanding of the difference between miscarriage and stillbirth and why they matter, with that having been set, I'd like to combat the thought of this could never happen to me. First and foremost, there is actually an entire website devoted, if you desire to look, to the probability of having a miscarriage at basically any point throughout the pregnancy. If you go to datayze.com, that is D-A-T-A-Y-Z-E.com, you can check it out. Um, I'm not entirely positive why you want to, but nonetheless, the option is available to you. Second, according to mayoclinic.org, about 10 to 20% of known pregnancies end in a miscarriage. Now, interestingly enough, they actually have a separate definition for miscarriage, which is the spontaneous loss of a pregnancy before the 20th week. But just so that you're aware, there's, there's more than one definition out there. Now, mayoclinic.org goes on to say that most miscarriages happen because the child is not developing as expected. Now, the reason why this is important, and I actually have a whole other video that touches on the stages of fetal development, it's titled The Stages of Fetal Development, it talks about the fact that each week that a child is in the womb is pivotal for a different portion of that child's growth and development. So there's no child, there, there's no week that a child is in the womb growing during a pregnancy where it's just kind of chilling there. It's always for a purpose. And if any of those growth phases are not hit, then it is extremely detrimental to the child. So it's very important to know that when a miscarriage happens, it's almost exclusively in cases where it's a spontaneous miscarriage, which means there was no external factors involved like smoking or drinking or something. In those cases, it's just because some developmental mark wasn't hit properly. So there's that. Now, then there's a whole separate issue. And this one, this one gets really, really tough. And if this is you, just please, before I say anything, understand there's hope out there. There's forgiveness out there. It's going to be okay. And what I'm about to talk about is the, the raised probability of a miscarriage after you've had an abortion. Now, there are two kinds of abortion. There's both surgical and medical. I have an entire video that goes in-depth on both kinds and all the things you need to know about each of them. It's called What Abortions Do. I'd highly recommend going to look it up. Uh, it's video if you're on YouTube or Rumble. And then it's, of course, auditory if you are here on the podcast. So... According to VeryWellFamily.com, if you opt for a surgical abortion, which is second trimester and beyond, then you run the risk of infection or hemorrhage or uterine damage, all of which can run the serious risk of inhibiting your body's ability 
to safely carry a pregnancy to term further down the road. The reason for this is because in any of those, the, the uterus is designed in a very specific way. And if anything messes with that, then the child's ability to grow, to hit those stages of development that we discussed a little earlier on, is hindered in all kinds of ridiculously insane ways. So if you go through something of that variety during an abortion, you run the very real risk of just completely ruining your body's capability to host a child. Now, alternatively, if you opt for a medical abortion, that would be a first trimester with uh, the pills, you run the real risk of finding yourself in need of medical attention and medical intervention. And those, of course, come with the same set of risks as the surgical kind we just mentioned earlier. Either way, it is a real and terrible truth that choosing an abortion could be not only the death sentence for the child that you are currently carrying, but also for the children that you want to have in the future. In a real-life example of this, uh, while I was at the March for Life this year, I actually met a woman who chose abortion in her earlier years, and she was relaying to me that she is now unable to conceive. She has been through multiple miscarriages, and it has just absolutely wrought all kinds of devastation on her life and her, her now husband. So I can personally attest to witnessing the damage that that has caused. Now, I can give you all the facts. I can give you all the statistics. But in cases like this, I believe that a personal story works best to get the point across. So here is one that is near and dear to my heart. And this particular individual, unfortunately, could not be here in person. So I had her record her story separately and send it my way. Hello, everybody. My name is Rachel Buster, sister of Rebecca David. I am the eldest of the clan. She's the producer, content editor, mastermind behind the Genesis of Conception series that you're watching currently. I'm this week's interviewee, and my topic is going to be miscarriage. It's a very typically undiscussed topic, as I've discovered with my experiences so far. So I have a list of questions she's given me to answer, so I will be sharing my responses to these questions. I will probably be looking down at the question list at some point or another through the video. So we'll get started. Um, the question to discuss first is what being an expected mother is like, especially with two born children. I do have two children, they're both under two years old. That's typically considered very close together, that's how we wanted it. Um, my husband and I wanted to have kids that were very close together so they would ideally be close in age and more so, so that we didn't have to be in the baby stage and then out of the baby stage and then inside of it again. It can be a, very, a bit of a stressful period of time, um, so when you're accustomed to it, it's easier to handle it. It just becomes normal life. So because of that, we wanted to have however many kids God was to bless us with in a short period of time, as he allows. Um, I am also a Christian, and I've been pro-life my entire life for as much of it as I have memory. We were very much all raised in the same pro-life Christian household with the expectation and the mutual passion 
for sharing the pro-life values and generally encouraging a value in our community for valuing unborn life at all stages from infant or from from unborn all the way until you die at the very end of your life that God's got a plan and a purpose for each stage and that he orchestrates from the very start. So with the expectation or the desire to have kids close together it was not a scary thing for us when we found out we were expecting the third kid. Um, my husband having just gone with entrepreneurship we had a lot of people voice concern for whether it was the right time to be pregnant with another child whether we should even have another child we didn't meet it with much focus it wasn't something that we were concerned about we knew that if god enabled the life to be conceived he had a plan for it and he would provide so we just went about our life um i found out in october of last year that i was expecting or was it october it was a little bit later than the other two kids had both been conceived. Um, so I found out that we were expecting a child. And I was very excited to tell all the family. I got the first ultrasound. Um, the day, the Monday of Thanksgiving week. So I was really eager to break the news to all the family that weekend at the various family dinners and show them the picture of the little baby. At this point, the baby was nothing more than a dot on a screen. No heartbeat, no movement. Um, the no heartbeat portion was a bit unexpected. The OBGYN did not voice any concern. We figured I was just a lot, f a lot earlier on um, than I initially had thought that I was. So instead of being six weeks, or, or sorry, eight or 10 weeks, she presumed I was more like five or six weeks wherein you wouldn't necessarily have a heartbeat quite yet. So we scheduled the next appointment and it would have, it was scheduled for right after um, the Christmas and New Year's celebrations. So we told everybody, um, I've always been a very open person and I was very eager to share the joy of this third child. Which brings me to the third question, I, well, the second and third question, I kind of jumped around because I have read these questions before. When I'm supposed to explain the emotions of finding out I'm pregnant. Um, we had just been through some sickness with my husband and I was afraid that I was just getting the sickness as the next person in the household. I had some upset stomach, nausea, so on about a week before a friend of mine convinced me to take a pregnancy test and so I took one at about midnight and it was positive. It was very faint positive. I took it earlier in the evening. I actually forgot about it because I wasn't expecting it to be positive um, and I was on the phone with my friend and somewhere near midnight I remembered I had taken the test. So with her on FaceTime, um, I went and I took it and I was surprised when I saw that there were two lines, one very faint, the other very bold. So I remember being very excited and shocked and I went into my husband who was sleeping 
And I woke him up. I was like, honey, it's positive. He's like, are you pregnant? Yeah, okay. And then he goes back to sleep. <laughs> Since we're in the baby making stage, um, and his mind is just the next thing, and it's expected, you, you know, have sex, you make babies, that's how that works. So, um, he woke up, went to work the next day, verified the next morning that I was, in fact, had told him I was had a positive pregnancy test. I scheduled the OBGYN appointment. Life went on as we had two prior pregnancies before that. So now on to the third question. Um, how I found out I was miscarrying and my emotions associated. Um, uh, New Year's grilled around and we'd by this time told most everybody I'd made the Facebook announcement um, and we were just coming home from the New Year's celebration. Um, we went to one of my aunt's houses and had normal New Year's festivities. I, of course, avoided alcohol, all that fun stuff. I noticed a little bit of spotting a few days before New Year's, and I was a bit concerned, but I also knew it was fairly normal in early pregnancy to have some spotting. Um, not red spotting, just like um, brown spotting, fairly typical. So I didn't think a lot of it. I didn't have any other symptoms, no pain. I didn't have any um, anything else that would indicate something was going wrong. So on January 1st, between at about midnight, I went to get ready for bed and I noticed that I was bleeding a bit. And um, I knew from having lots of other friends get pregnant and unfortunately miscarry that it's a very common symptom and it's very common in early pregnancy to for that to be the point when you miscarry and the common sign associated is bleeding and it was enough blood that it had me concerned so i again woke the husband up and told him that i needed to take myself to the emergency room because the kids were sleeping and i used to wake them up drag them to a waiting room for how many hours so I took myself to the emergency room, I checked in, I told them what the situation was, and they looked at me and they basically said, well, if you are miscarrying, there's nothing we can do about it. I need you to sign this form stating that you understand that we don't have any control over whether the miscarriage continues. So at the end of that, they didn't really tell me much about the ultrasound they took. They didn't tell me whether there was a heartbeat. They told me that there was still a little gestational sac present but nothing else and they were labeling it a threatening miscarriage. They told me to be careful, avoid lifting a lot of stuff, typical precautions and restrictions in early pregnancy when you have two kids and you have life to do. So I went home the next morning happened to be my next OBGYN appointment where I would expectedly see this hopefully much larger little baby rolling around, hopefully your heartbeat. So the next day at about mid midday, 11 or 12 was the appointment time. I took the kids to the uh, OBGYN and I told the OBGYN about the ER visit and she did not seem surprised. She was very compassionate, very sympathetic, um, but it seemed like she was kind of expecting it. And sure enough, when we did the ultrasound, there was no there was no little home on the screen. Um,
as you can tell that's not something that you really ever forget for those of you who have been through it it will still bring up emotion and everyone processes those differently but it's an important thing to talk about and to share because it happens often and you never quite forget that emotion when you find out that you've miscarried when it's official and you know that it's not a lie and it's not something that you dreamed but it's actually real So, I looked up at the screen. I saw there was no baby home. I was expecting to see a much larger little infant bouncing around, waving a very good heartbeat, and to be told that the prior night was not a concern, that everything was fine. And that's not what I was told, and it's not what I saw. So emotionally, I guess you can see what the emotion is. Physically, I hadn't yet ex experienced any pain. I hadn't yet begun any real bleeding. Um, I had both of my kids with me and my almost two-year-old, my daughter. She knew from the prior visit that she was supposed to see something on the screen as well. So she looked up and she looked at me and she looked at the OBGYN. He was extremely compassionate and sympathetic. And I remember having no control over the emotion and the tears that just flowed. I didn't quite feel much of anything except shock and surprise and confusion. Um, and my little, my little girl kind of shuffled over to me and she gave me a hug and she just starts crying. And um, my little boy wasn't quite sure. He was still in his car seat in the stroller. He was a little fussy because he was probably hungry and I wasn't happy like I normally am. So the OBGYN expressed her sympathies in a very gentle way, handed me some tissues. And I was crying so intently that I couldn't speak or catch a breath. The tears were just kind of streaming much more than they are currently. And I sat in confusion and my first question was, why do I have to go through this? I remember before with my other pregnancies. I always hoped God would never have me go through a miscarriage because I never knew how I would handle it. I didn't want to handle one. It wasn't an experience that I wanted to be sympathetic towards. And here I was looking at the ultrasound screen and my little third baby wasn't there anymore. And I never quite audibly asked God why. I never voiced it. It was always in my head. I didn't have any negative association to him. 
I was just confused and sad and very disappointed like I had done something wrong like if I hadn't drank the coffee that I had or if I ate more vegetables or if I was consistent with taking prenatals like somehow I could have stopped it and I have a quiz of I was assured by the OBGYN that that wasn't the case that I didn't do anything wrong so she gave me time to process gain a little bit more composure and um, I just hugged my daughter and I went and kissed my son and I was overwhelmed with gratitude ironically in the middle of all the pain that I had two beautiful children that were sitting there healthy and smiley and very mutually sympathetic I was in awe that God had given me those two children so easily and unexpectedly neither one of them were necessarily planned we just enjoyed the purse of being married and whenever I tested each time that happened to be positive so I was simultaneously thankful for them and it was a gratitude that was so deep it was as deep as the pain of having lost this third one and it was at the same time so you can imagine how interesting that display of emotion was um, so I collected my things, I was given an instruction list of how to care for myself and what to look for in the following days or weeks that would happen in a natural miscarriage. Um, the following day, I had told all the, the family and the close friends that I had told initially. Each time I recounted it, I usually cried. Um, And a few of my other friends and family had posted on Facebook shortly after about their very successful ultrasounds and the heartbeats and some of them shared videos and others just shared photos and I remember a twinge of jealousy and a difficulty being happy for them. I was happy for them of course, but it was difficult not being jealous and confused at why why God had taken my little, my little third one home before I got to meet him or her. And then my husband said something to me that really helped and kind of stuck with me each time I would get sad over it and it would help give me comfort. He said that the little baby had never known anything besides complete comfort and satisfaction and love. He had the best that the world has to offer because he was always, or she, was always inside with immediate nourishment and immediate feelings of love and warmth. The baby never had to experience crying or hunger or anything else. God placed him or her with me for a very short time allowed me the, the joy and the elation of a positive pregnancy test. And then, before anything possibly negative could have happened to him or her, God took her home. And 
that really stuck with me. And it brings me comfort whenever I start to miss whatever person the baby would have been. I still haven't quite become angry with God. I've been through enough other death in my life to understand that as a Christian, this world is temporary. It, it's going to eventually pass away and one day all the people that he's taken home that he's ended their life here on this earth they're they're all going to be in heaven waiting probably not even thinking about us currently because of all the joy that heaven is but one day we're going to meet them again and we're going to be able to have whatever type of relationship god has planned for heaven and as a christian that is the foremost reminder and reality is that this life is temporary so we enjoy the loved ones that we have while we have them here we share god's love and the truth of the gospel as christians and he alone is in charge of when and where each of our lives comes to an end he gives and he takes away so as job recounted in the Bible as he lost everything and then in his case God gave it to him back tenfold that doesn't always happen here but he still bless his name because he's still good and he's still God and he's still sovereign um, the fourth question recounts asking about my pro-life values and my comfort during grieving, so I suppose I already respond to the comfort part. With the pro-life values, um, I completely believe that from conception, God provides and he gives the giver of life. Um, we don't have, we obviously have like, you know, the sperm and the egg and we provide those, but even those God creates when he forms us um, it's interesting studying the biology of the human body, the reproductive uh, system, and realizing how amazing God's design is, um, which Rebecca has covered in many of her previous videos, so I won't go into that. But uh, God really provides everything that we need um, for life and for our existence from the very start. And it's really amazing to study all of that. Um, I encourage you, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever stage of life you're in, to bring your questions before God. Challenge Him on it. Um, he created you and He can handle whatever issues or anger or sadness that you have towards him or towards anyone else because he created you and he has a purpose for you um 
The number five question is offering encouragement to both abortive and post-miscarriage women. This first one actually is something God's grown me on a lot in the last many years. I used to have a lot of anger and hatred towards women who would have an abortion. Um, experiencing the financial insecurity that I have in the last few months, or really the last year, God's really given me an empathy and a compassion for people who choose to end their child's life, not because it's the right thing to do, but because it's a very scary thing to not know what your whole, what your life holds next, where the next, not necessarily where the next meal is coming from. I've never been in that specific position, but um, I've worked a lot with homeless people and I've worked a lot with um, women who are not certain where their support is coming from. And even in my very brief exposure to what it's potentially like not knowing, the thought of possibly more in the extreme condition of possibly not knowing if the roof over your head's going to be stable or if you're going to have a vehicle to drive, if you're going to have meals to eat or to feed your children, it's scary. It's hard. It's... It is 100% something that I hope God never has me actually live. And the people that are in that situation, the women, young or old, that face that, um, usually are also facing educational uncertainties. Sometimes they're in abusive relationships. I am very blessed with an amazing supportive husband that's that cares for the family well. He's godly, he's a good leader. Um, but I have been in very, scary relationship situations and had I had a child in those events with my faith I would have reached out with my pro-life values but had I not I would not be in those same positions God's really shown me that it's not my place to judge what someone else is going through it's my place to meet them where they are show them love and support and help them get to the resources that they need to fulfill the pro-life agenda, the pro-life values, to show them that they can. And if you're a mom or you have been a mom and you've lost a child, if, if God's taken that child home, or even if you've birthed a child and something's happened and you've had to say goodbye to that child that you got to know a little bit, that you imagined a future for, I'm so sorry. That's a hurt and a pain that no no parent should have to experience. But I promise you that God is next to you and he does care about you and he does have a purpose for your pain and he does love you. And Even if you have had an abortion, you've had to make that choice, you didn't have support, or maybe maybe you're watching and you volitionally decided to end the life of your child for whatever reason. That is something that you alone will have to live with and deal with and confront God about one day. And one of the 
predominant voices in the pro-life movement, Abby Johnson has a lot of ex has some experience with that same situation. And if you have any questions or concerns or you've been through that, she's a great person to reach out to for those discussions. But know that either way, any person that calls themselves a Christian should still be willing to come next to you and to give you a hug and to say, you know what, it's okay because Jesus redeems all things. And he doesn't do it on our timeline or our timetable because he is sovereign and he is holy and he is merciful and gracious. He does it on his timetable and he doesn't do it because we deserve it. Um, and he doesn't do it with any help from us. Um, for those of you that have experienced miscarriages, unfortunately I now have some understanding of what you've gone through and again, I'm sorry that you never got to meet your child. I'm sorry if you got to see your child on the screen wave at you or hear that heartbeat and then all of a sudden you didn't. That's a grief and a mourning process that will probably be ongoing in various forms. Even if you have had children before or you have children after, that child is never not going to have existed. They'll always have existed. And they are always worth remembering and talking about and sharing the life of however brief that life was. They are always valuable and significant. Um, I was encouraged to name my child. I still didn't come up with one. Um, I still sometimes expect to be pregnant. Like I look down and I'm confused at why I'm not larger or why I haven't been to ultrasounds or I expect that at some point in July or August, which was my original due date, that that I will have had that child. Um, we still hope for a, a rainbow baby, as they're called. I don't know where the term originated from, but I've heard a few people refer to them as rainbow babies. Um, we hope that God provides one for us. And I hope that you have been gifted one, but know that that child never will replace the one that you lost, that you didn't get to meet in person. And it's okay. That child had, God often has purposes that we don't see. Um, We expect life to last, to last a certain amount of time. We have certain expectations. You know, when you get pregnant, you have the baby and the baby lives to be an adult and they live a long, happy life. And the reality is that God never assures us of that fact. He has a plan and a purpose for each child, but that purpose and that plan are usually not ones that we would expect them to be. And sometimes he purposes for us not to get to meet that child in person. He purposes different things. Um, 
And for me, I'm at peace with that, but I realize that could be a very hard concept to grapple with for a lot of you out there, especially who don't come from my background of faith and belief in Christ. And that's also okay. Again, God can handle all of your, your anger and your sorrow and your questions and your hurt. And he can handle them with wide open arms, usually through the method of you know, someone else being a comfort to you in person, being a vessel for him. And uh, I guess, I guess, I suppose that brings me to the last question. My favorite comfort or scripture, and I can't specifically name one comfort, but as I've been studying the Old Testament through the last year and a half, the character trait of God being holy and sovereign has brought me tremendous comfort because no matter what I face in this life, no matter how many loved ones he decides to take home before I think that their time has come or what difficulties we face, he is not surprised. He is not confused. He is not taken aback. He's not sitting in some chair in the corner baffling and just scratching his eyebrow going, oh darn, what now? How in the world are we gonna come back from this? No. He is mighty. And he is merciful. And every good thing comes from him. Even if we can't see its goodness. And knowing that he is sovereign and he is holy gives me comfort that he still has a plan and a purpose that I don't understand and my only job is to trust and to follow him as the shepherd. And again, as a Christian that brings me comfort because it's not up to me. It's not in my control. Um, my focus every day is to develop my relationship with him and observe as the Holy Spirit molds me into a more Christ-like vessel for him on this earth until he calls me home. So for now, and for, I suspect, the duration of life, I will focus on developing that relationship and prioritizing Jesus as the center. And Hopefully I get my rainbow baby, my next, my fourth child, I suppose it would be. Um, and if that doesn't happen, that's still okay. If he never provides a, another child, that's still okay and he's still good. If he were to take either of my two kids and decide that their life on this earth was substantially shorter and different than I foresaw it being, he would still be a good God, and he would still be holy and sovereign. And my children would still be in his loving arms, where everyone that's Christian wants to be, which is eternally with him in his presence. Um, if you have made it to the end of this, and you have any questions, or you want to talk, um, that's kind of my specialty is, Rebecca is very good at being the activist and going to all the rallies and creating the content. Um, 
my strong point is being a listening ear over a cup of coffee in whatever format that takes. And no matter what it is that you want to talk about, I'm happy to be a listening ear, a shoulder to cry on, a, a human journal to vent to, whatever it is that you need or want. Um, feel free to reach out to me, whoever you are, whatever stage of life you're in, whatever you've gone through or going through, even if it has nothing to do with abortion or miscarriages or any of that other stuff. Um, God's given me a gift of empathy and I think that in spite of my dislike of sobbing in front of total strangers as I have just done for the last 30 minutes or longer, however long this has taken, God created emotions, he created the heart, he created connection, and he has chosen to use humans as his vessels to connect other humans to himself most of the time. So it is not my place to determine that I don't like the gift I've been given, it is my place to utilize the gift to his glory and honor, and that is what I will do. All right, you're back in studio with Rebecca. First and foremost, uh, Rachel, if you're listening right now, thank you very kindly for being willing to share your story. I know that that was not easy for you. Secondarily, just like my sister said, if you need any help at all, please reach out. Her specialty is Facebook, and her name on there is Rachel Buster. That's R-A-C-H-E-L-B-U-S-T-E-R. And I am also on Facebook. I am Bex David, B-E-X like X-ray, and then David like the biblical king, D-A-V-I-D. And if you prefer some version of the social media world, I am on most of those apps as proudly pro-life Gen Z woman. Now, I want you to understand that if you are going to reach out, which I highly encourage if you are feeling like you need to talk to someone or like you need help or maybe you know someone who needs help, whatever the case may be. I want you to understand that there is no judgment. There's only love and there's only support for you. We just want to get you from where you are to where you need to be. Now switching gears, it's time for this week's book recommendation. It's called Empty Arms for those who suffered a miscarriage, a stillbirth, or a tubular pregnancy. It is a book by Pam. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce her last name, so I'll spell it out for you. It's V-R-E-D-E-V-E-L-T. So it's the letter V, the word red, the letter Eve, and then the or the word Eve, and then the letters L-T. So I'll spell that out one more time for you. Pam, P-A-M, V-R-E-D-E-V-E-L-T. She is both a licensed professional counselor and she's also someone who has lost two children. She suffered a miscarriage as well as losing a 16-year-old son. So her book is filled with excellent and sage advice from someone who has been there and knows that pain and is now trained in how to help others not necessarily move on, but find some peace and find some solace and figure out a way to keep on living. And of course, you can find it in all of the usual spots. Again, the book's title is Empty Arms for those who suffered a miscarriage, stillbirth, or tubal pregnancy. 
And now, as promised, if you or someone you know has been through a miscarriage, there's a few excellent resources to check out. The first is naturalfertilityinfo.com. This one offers counseling services. It also offers a lot of really fantastic information for maybe you just suffered a miscarriage, you have no idea what the next steps are. Maybe, you know, you suffered one further back in the past and you're ready to try again, but again, you have no idea what to expect or what the increased risks are. It goes through all of that stuff. It's a fantastic resource for the woman in the case. The next is the Miscarriage Association. I'm aware it's a weird title, but it's really amazing because not only do they offer all kinds of pregnancy, or not pregnancy, um, miscarriage resource options for the woman in that scenario, but also for the guy because, you know, it takes two to tango and there are a lot of guys out there who have no idea how to cope with the fact that they've just lost their child. So the Miscarriage Association is really good about offering resources for the guy as well. And then, of course, you can go to literally any pro-life clinic near you. Pro-life clinics are designed to help with every single stage of the pregnancy process, and that includes the loss of the child. So you are not alone, and you are so loved through every single step. And a PS side note on this one, if you are that spouse or that significant other to the woman, if you're the male in this scenario who lost that child, again, those resources are available to you as well. And my heart goes out to all the fathers who never got to meet their child. My own father happens to be one of them. I lost a sibling to miscarriage years ago. So dad, shout out to you for incredible, unbelievable strength during that time. And shout out to all the other guys out there who went through the same thing. And now for what we're going to be talking about next week. It's going to be about why pro-choice cannot be reconciled to Christianity. And now I know, I know this one's a super duper hot take. I'm aware that you might be a person who goes to a church where they don't agree with that stance, but I'm going to attempt to help you see why those two things cannot truly be reconciled in a logical manner. And another really quick side note before we end this thing, if you aren't subscribed to this podcast yet, it would be awesome if you would do so. It really helps on a whole variety of levels. Uh, to be honest, I'm still trying to figure out exactly how all of that works, but I keep being told by people who know far better than I do that it does. So if you aren't subscribed and you like what I talk about, you should subscribe. That would be awesome. And for now... Remember how precious and loved and cherished you are by our creator. And I challenge you to live your life as though it is true, because I promise you that it will revolutionize your world. Until next time, let's continue to be pioneers in the space between the picket lines together. God bless, and I'll see you next week.